If you have a Bible, go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 16 and hold your place there and then go to John chapter 17. Set us apart now, Lord, we pray, would you to hear your word for what it is, living, powerful, sharper than a double-edged sword, able to know our heart and soul and to, to teach us and guide us into all truth. May your Holy Spirit do that as we read it, study it, heed it. Put it into motion, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So the series is called Lead Like Jesus. And um, I'm going to start with a confession. The confession is there's way too much material for a sermon. And it could be a series. This one particular one is Lead with Vision. Um, and it's larger, and there are whole books written on this. Um, because when Jesus comes to earth, he talks a vision, he acts a vision all all throughout his three-year public ministry. He does it all day. And so I'm going to give you a number of illustrations. The best thing you can do is, is take really good notes because we're going to go fast. This is more of a seminar than a sermon uh, in that because you're just going to have to hang on because there's a lot to cover. But know this in the end. I don't expect you uh, to get it all and to do it perfectly like Jesus did it. What I do want to challenge you to do is to begin to lead like Jesus, and that means lead with your eyes open to see what God has in front of you and what the possibility is, and to picture the potential in front of you, because Jesus gives us a wonderful model to follow. Instead of trudging through life, you can focus on your past or in your present state of affairs, or you can picture with clarity, with energizing kinds of efforts, what the future could be with the right kind of biblical, godly, Jesus kind of driven vision, with lasting goals and enduring values and the huge desired outcomes that are way better than anything we could hope or dream. And as I even say that, those are footnotes from other scriptures. And we've talked about this in the series, lead with integrity and lead with virtue and discipline and lead with courage and lead with attitude. But this thing of leading with vision is is a a, a, a whole subset that we could spend a fair amount of time on so here we go jesus always cast vision even when he was just uh, talking a little bit so we just read it um don't discourage the children don't hold them back why because that's what the kingdom is like he's painting a picture about the kingdom when he has kids on his lap and and he's just blessing them and jesus led people by painting a picture of a better brighter future and then inviting them to come and enjoy it with him and that's why you'll be reading through the Gospels, and it sounds like, you know, like pass-through kinds of verses. Come, follow me. You know, and, but what he's doing is he's bringing them on board. Come, follow me. They've been just eating some fish. I'll make you fishers of men. He's given them another whole picture. He says, look to the fields. They're ripe unto harvest. There's another great picture. The kingdom of heaven is like, and he creates pictures. Sowing a seed that's going to have great food. Yeast that a woman's kneading into a, rolling into a, into a, a batch of dough into some flour and he knows that the kingdom is like that you get that into the dough it's going to expand the whole batch of dough the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a hidden field he says it's like a net going down into the lake and coming up full of fish he keeps creating pictures all the way through and in his first public but really his first public not really sermon but his scripture reading he actually reads isaiah 61 he walks into a synagogue and pulls a scroll out, and Luke chapter 4 says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he's actually reading Old Testament text, and he says, because 
He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind. You get the pictures he's painting right there. He's just creating, if you will, he's bringing forward the vision of Isaiah the prophet and saying, this is fulfilled today. I'm the fulfillment of that. And then he sits down. Recovery of sight for the blind, oppressed being free, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. All of that was part of the visionary statement. And it just seemed natural that he would paint pictures. And so when we open our Bibles to Matthew 16, we read these words. When Jesus was coming to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say I am? The Son of Man is. Verse 13, now verse 14. They replied, some say John the Baptist. He said, I'm not asking what some say. Who do people say? Others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Then he asked, who do you say? Verse 15, he's kind of honing it in now. What do you think? What do people say? Now, what do you think? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Peter. And it's upon that rock I'll build my church. He creates another picture right there. By the way, Peter is this Aramaic kind of Greek. It's an old way of saying in the original language, Peter was the word for rock. And he's actually, it's a play on words. He goes, you are a pebble. You're a little rock. And it's upon this greater truth of the Messiah. It's upon that kind of rock. That's the kind of boulder. I'm going to build my church. And they didn't see that. You don't see that in the language we have today. But he knew there was a play on words. We have plays on words all the time. You ever ask a person to be a, do a favor for you and they go, oh yeah, I couldn't be happier. Right? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, and by that, by, you know, what's bothered you? Whenever, whenever a person says, nothing. It's something, right? It's a play on words, right? Yeah, they had the same thing. He says, Peter, you're a, a pebble. I'm gonna build the church on the rock. This is a boulder. And you know what? The gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. it. All hell won't be able to move that rock. And you know what? He created a picture for them to see what we are following and following the Savior is something that's not going to go away quickly. This is not just a, a short-term political campaign or something that's going to um, bump up the credit scores for Israel for the day or for the Jewish people. No, this is going to go on forever. I love this story. John chapter 4, um, Jesus uh, is on the edge of town, and he's, uh, the, guy, the guys leave, and they leave him by a well. Remember this story? So he sits down by this well. Uh, it, but the town's just right there. He's just on the edge of town. And a woman walks up, and uh, he says to the woman, uh, hey, can I have some water? And she says, you're not supposed to be talking to me. You're not my mother. You know, one of those kind of things. Yeah, it's like that. And uh, now there are several barriers he broke right then. Men were not to be talking to women. It's the cultural barrier of the day. There was a race barrier too. He's a full Jew. She was a Samaritan woman. She's uh, mixed. So if you think race problems are an issue today, they are. But they've always been for like hundreds of years. And when we solve it, you're going to be a millionaire when you write that book. You know, okay. They had problems back then. He was talking to a woman, a woman who was mixed blood, and she says, you're not allowed to be talking to me. He goes, I just asked for water, lady. And she says, I'll give you water. He goes, I can give you water that will make you never thirst. And they begin to talk. And then he says to her, by the way, this is Jesus, too. He knows everything. So he says, um, are you married? Ask her. And he already knows. She goes, no. He goes, you're right. You're not. You, 
Is, is this number five? Is that what this? And then she realizes, he's reading me like a book. This guy knows me inside and out. She goes, how do you know all this? Well, I am the son of God. You know, that would have something to do with it. She runs into town and says, there's a guy uh, out at the well. And so, she, by the way, he says to her, oh, don't tell anybody. By the way, if you ever wanted to make a secret known, he, Jesus had it down. Don't tell anybody. Okay, I won't. I just told seven of my favorite friends. Was it Thomas Jefferson who said three can keep a secret if two are dead? That's where this story goes. So she runs into town, and within minutes, she's got friends. She's bringing them back. Because it's right on the edge of town. It's not far. They're just 100 yards inside the sea. And so while she goes to get her friends, they're coming back. Now Jesus has a whole audience. He's going to convert them all. So the disciples come back, and their first deal is, did you win her to Jesus? No. Their first question is, why are you talking to a woman, a Samaritan, at that? He goes, well, she's interested, and I can give to her living wife. Well, and you know, what they, you know how, what they respond? It's time for lunch, dude. And so they said, let's go get a bite to eat. And he's going, no, this is the sermon time. I could lead these people to me. No, we're hungry. We'd re-. And then they, they discuss, maybe someone fed him already. And he stops and he says, open your eyes. Don't you see what's happening? They had no vision. You don't see. There's a spiritual thing happening here. Have you ever had that happen? Where then all of a sudden you see a spiritual thing is happening. Uh, that's John, the story is John chapter 4. Um, I'm, I'm reminded again of, of uh, like Second Peter, where Peter puts it down in detail form, that God has given us everything that we need for uh, life and godliness. And Second Peter chapter 1 and then, so we're to add to our faith uh, goodness, to a goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, perseverance godliness, to godliness mutual affection, mutual affection add love. Because if you have these in, in increasing number, increasing quality, what's going to happen is it's going to keep you from stumbling. You're going to rise and be more godly, more pure-hearted. And they'll pe- keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in, the, in your walk with Jesus. But he says, if you don't do that, Peter writes, whoever does not do this, he will be nearsighted, get that, and blind. He's he's trying to make it nearsighted. No, worse than that, blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their sins. See, he's saying, if you don't get this, if you don't want to increase this is going to be bad on you because you will not be able to see what Jesus is really up to. You won't have vision for your life. Now, I know it's no surprise to you. I have glasses. How many of you have glasses? Some people contact people? Okay. So I have glasses, and I'm nearsighted, which means I, it never made sense to me. They should announce I, I'm far-sighted challenged is what I am, but I'm nearsighted, so I can see things up close, and then, uh, but when I take my glasses off, some of you are better looking, actually. But anyway, uh, sorry. Rule number one of public speaking, don't alienate your audience. But anyway, if you take your glasses off, it, it'll, it, it changes. Anybody with glasses, anybody ever picked up the wrong glasses and got, whoa, what drug are you on? You know, when you, what is wrong with your left eye? Because it's like, Wow really different because these are prescription glasses take them off and you see differently because of the depth of the eye that's why it's 
it's prescribed to your head and your, the shape of your eye. He's saying you will be nearsighted so you can't see out the vision that God has. And get this, there's a spiritual component to this. If all you ever pray about is what's right here, get this, you're nearsighted. If you can't lift up your eyes and see the field for what Jesus is really doing, and you can't see the greater thing that God might be up to in your life, even though it might be painful for the moment, you're nearsighted. You don't have the vision. And that's something to even pray about. God, I don't get this. I don't see it. Help me to see what it is that you're doing. Because God may have some painful things in your life to actually purify your life. May very well be there. And, it, and, and you're saying right now, okay, the most painful thing in my life is my children. You may be saying that right now. You, you wouldn't say it out loud, but it is. And you know what? God placed those children there to maybe disciple you. He may have given you a, a challenging boss to help you grow. You say, well, I don't want to grow. That's the nearsighted issue. That's the struggle of the prayer right there. So then you pray, God, help me to grow through this because I don't want to go through that grade again. I don't want to go grade six, seven, eight, 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 eighth grade because I keep going through that grade because I don't learn that lesson, right? Yeah. So Second Peter chapter one, well worth taking note of and remembering that that when you don't see far, part of that might be your own nearsightedness spiritually that might be happening. Because here's what could happen. People without vision tend to lose their own weight. They might be busy. They might be active, but they're expending energy without any focus. There's no really lasting uh, really effect or influence. They're spinning, but really going nowhere. So if we lead like Jesus, we will lead casting a, a better future with a greater picture. It was Helen Keller. You know who Helen Keller is, right? It was Helen Keller who was asked one day, <clears throat> what could be worse than being born blind? And she responded, to have sight and no vision. About 100 years ago, <clears throat> just over 100 years ago, 120 years ago, there was a minister who went to, who went to uh, uh, meet with a university professor and that minister, godly man, sat down and said, I believe this is the start. It was right at the turn of the century or coming up to the 1900s. He said, I believe it's the millennial kingdom is on the way. I think Jesus is coming. I think the end is about here. And the professor said, why would you, ask, why would you say that? He said, well, uh, we've had a lot of inventions. A lot of things have happened. We've pretty much invented and developed a life. It can't get any more complex. All the inventions have happened. Everything that's meant to happen has happened. So Jesus is going to come. And the professor said, you mean there's nothing new that's going to happen? The, the minister had no vision. He goes, yeah, I don't think there's anything new. And, and so the minister challenged the professor and said, well, what possibly, what could happen that's new? And the professor just turned to him and said, well, could man fly? And that minister said, no, man wasn't meant to fly. Well, that guy learned vision from his kids, his two sons, Orville and Wilbur. And now you know the rest of the story. His name is Wright. And by the way, Reverend Wright is a godly man, just didn't have a vision for what could happen. And it was his, his sons in Dayton, Ohio, who ran a bicycle shop, who had the vision to fly. Is that cool or what? 
And I always say this, yeah, but was the flight at Kitty Hawk, was it on time and how was the dinner? You know, something like that, right? So here's some, just three questions to begin with. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I headed? Who am I? Number one, settle the identity issue. And you settle that by asking the question, whose am I? Am I, am I Jesus? Do I, do I have, have I handed my life to him because he's the only one who can really save me? Or am I going to earn my way? So who am I answers it with whose am I? And if a gracious God in heaven has paid the ticket, and he has, have I accepted that ticket? The second question is, well, why am I here? Uh, why has, how has God wired me, and why has he wired me the way he has? And what difference am I going to leave? What footprint am I going to leave on the earth? What's it going to be like that I was here? And then where am I headed goes down to a five-point thing that we always ask around here called the shape. How has God shaped you? And that goes back to the uh, shape would be spiritual gift, your personality, your, or your heart, I'm sorry, your abilities, your personality, and your experiences. Your spiritual gifts, how has God made you unique? And, and your heart, what are you really passionate about? Your abilities, what talents do you have? And then your personality, how has God wired you differently in personality? Because that would affect where you're going to actually serve and the difference you'll make. And then even your experiences, because you may have some bad experiences, you may say, oh, those weren't very helpful. No, even your bad experiences can be beneficial to you if you use them that way. So ask yourself those three questions. Who am I? Why am I here? And where am I headed? That will get you started. And then, and then what Jesus did was he always led with, with vision, with purpose, and with always painting a picture. I find this to be really interesting. And he always saw the potential in people. The picture, why you're here on earth, what your impact will be, and what does that look like? That's the picture. And then the potential, why that, that person, when he says to them, go and sin no more. You can do this. Get this? I'm going to make you fishers, uh, not a fish, I'm going to make you fishers of men. See the potential he gives to them? You can do this through the power I'm going to give to you. Even when facing the cross, John chapter 17, get this, the purpose that he has, John 17 verse 1, after Jesus said this, he looked toward the heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour's come, now glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. He knew why he was on earth. He knew his purpose. You have given these people to me, and now this is eternal life, verse 3, John 17. I have brought you glory by finishing the work you gave me to do. He said, I got this done I'm, I'm headed to the cross. My purpose here on earth is complete. And he begins to picture it, verse 20, in that ongoing prayer. My prayer is not for them only, the believers, but also those who will believe the next generation. Get the picture? He's seeing a system of followers in Jesus and, and, and the message that they will carry forward. And again, in verse 21, he sees the potential and that all of them would be one, that they'd be unified, just as you and I are unified, he says. So that may they be one, that the world will believe. So when they see Christians hanging together and it, because their allegiance to Jesus is so high, nothing else really matters, then what happens is they begin to lead with not just a great picture, but a wonderful potential. So when you and I lead, we want to lead with vision, just like Jesus led, with vision. Here's my challenge to you. Take some time this week and ask yourself, what is my purpose on earth why am i here i'm here to honor you god i know that if i'm here to honor you god how am i going to honor you with my life so what does that look like what's the picture and if even if i don't see it clearly john or first 
Corinthians 13. Even if I just see it dimly, what does that look like? Because I want to achieve the potential that you have for me, which is different than anybody else, but the potential you have for me. So may my life move forward in a hopeful, better future, knowing that you're in control and you are out for my good because you have loved me. And may I believe the best and may I hope the best and work well in the best with the people around me. That's the potential. I want, to have, I want you to take time this week and ask yourself, if I'm to lead like Jesus and lead with vision, what is my purpose? What does that look like? And what could this be? And together, we will lead with, like Jesus and we will lead with vision. Let's bow for prayer. Would you bow with me? Christian, you're, you're asking God right now, um, make me a person of vision to see what is the possibility out there and what my part would be in it and I, I talk in terms of, of trusting Jesus but maybe that's never been a decision you've made for yourself and so I'm going to ask you to make the bold step right now and open your life to the Savior Jesus Christ came to be Savior of the world he paid for the sins and you, you either when you die either you take his payment or you make the payment on your own and that payment on your own is is hell you don't you don't want to make that payment so i implore you i i beg of you to trust jesus right where you're seated and ask christ to be your savior from sin and in a world lord that that has a lot of agendas May we keep the vision clear that we're here to honor and glorify you. And we pray this in the Savior's name.